You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Let's Pharmanize, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Shane Gerritsen. I'm Kelly Kerr. And I'm Ivan Stewart. And today we've got a special episode. Kelly Kerr, my wife, is here today to talk about a medical aspect of the show Outlander. We're going to talk about penicillin and Outlander. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. Attention. The following contains major spoilers for the Stars series Outlander. Listen at your own risk. So Outlander is a show. My wife, Kelly, watches it. Sometimes I see it when it's when it's on the TV. Ivan, have you heard of Outlander? I mean, I've definitely heard the phrase. I think I've seen it advertised somewhere, and you briefly mentioned it to me the other day. Yeah. But I, other than that, I no, I don't think I have. It's a fun show, and they, they touch on a ton of medical aspects. Because, like we said, it's it's a it's a nurse from World War II who goes back in time. I'll let I'll let Kelly summarize it. She can summarize it better than I can. But they touch on a lot of medical medical stuff, and it sticks pretty accurate. I, I think. Sing me a song of a lass that is gone. Say, could that lass be I? At the beginning of the series, Claire Beecham is a nurse serving during World War II, but things are about to change for her. Not only does she have to silently deal with the trauma of working in a field hospital, and not only does she uproot her life and get married to a man, Frank Randall, whom she met before the war, but Claire hits the jackpot of all changes at a mythical rock formation known as Craig Nadoon. While on her honeymoon in Scotland, Claire manages to fall back 200 years in time after touching these mythical stones. Now Claire, a 20th century woman, must find her way through the challenges that the 18th century faces, namely medical, granted there are accusations of witchcraft, blatant sexism, and a constant threat of sexual assault, as well as a hate for the English, which she happens to be, who at this time are terrorizing the citizens of Scotland, cue the Jacobite uprising. But... We're here to focus namely on the medical. Claire is taken by a burly group of Highlanders and quickly earns her keep and their trust by treating one of their wounds, a dislocated shoulder. The entirety of the show focuses primarily around her relationship with a steamy Highlander named Jamie Fraser and her journeys through time. And yes, I say journeys because she goes back to the future at some point and then goes back in time again. Okay, so is, is the honeymoon part and the actual action of the show taking place during World War II, or was she a field hospital nurse and then? She was a field nurse and then, after VE Day, when she returns back to England with the love of her life, they honeymoon in Scotland to get married. And then she has to come back and explain her relationship with a steamy Highlander in, yeah. in the past and get committed to a mental asylum. Uh, luckily, that doesn't <laughs> happen because, you know... Scottish, the Scottish Highlanders of this time believe in in fairies and and whatnot. So okay. they're they're pretty okay with the fact that she's uh, 
telling them, well, she doesn't tell them at first, but, oh, spoilers ahead, by the way, like tons of spoilers, <laughs> so many spoilers. <laughs> but I mean, that, that sounds pretty cool. Is this mainly focused around like plant medicine or does she do like, like how far does she get into it? Is there synthetic chemistry or is it just she knows all the plants or? All of this would have been highly unlikely for Claire to be able to heal wounds. However, she's an avid botanist. So she loves plants um, and she, prior to their honeymoon, started studying like specifically highland plants. So she could go around and collect them for her own, I guess like her own keepsakes. Uh, But she uses things like foxglove and fennel as well as other native highland plants. You know what foxglove's for, right? Foxglove didn't, what is that like? Digoxin? Yeah, come from exactly that. right. Yeah, digoxin, digitalis. And the, yeah, and then what was what was the other plant you said? Sorry. Fennel. Fennel. I think that has uses in like breast milk letdown, and then I think there's some other stuff, but I can't remember exactly what it was. You might be thinking of fenugreek. Maybe. Okay, no, fenugreek might be it. Yeah. It starts with an F. You know? Fen. It starts with a fen. I mean, yeah. it's like a half <laughs> the word. I don't know what fennel is. I think it's just an herbal remedy. I think I can tell you if you want. Please. There's a cool website uh, that is sponsored by Stars, who's the producer of the TV series, and it's Claire's Apothecary Cabinet. And so you can look at all of the different types of herbs that she uses throughout the series, and it'll tell you what they are. So fennel, it's supposed to help someone who's had a little too much haggis. Fennel can help relieve okay. the trapped wind and indigestion that came from overindulgence. I need that. Okay, I was definitely thinking of fenugreek then, originally. Yeah. It can, oh, it does say it can be safely consumed by nursing mothers and infants. Mm-hmm. And it was traditionally used to increase milk supply when breastfeeding. Okay, so maybe it was both huh. of them? Maybe it is. Maybe it's related to fenugreek. I don't know. I mean, that, that is another good point to push. I think it's also, I think it's a cooking spice as well. A lot of the remedies that she uses are from Mrs. I think it's Mrs. Fitzgibbons or Mistress Fitzgibbons kitchen at first. So she takes like garlic and another herb as well. I can't remember what it is to treat. I think it's pain. I don't know. I'll read that. Garlic? Yeah. I'll I'll read that in a little bit. I think he's garlic to treat pain. How does that work? You know, it doesn't have anti-inflammatory properties. Sure. I I don't know. I know it. I know it works for like hypercholesteremia yeah. like extracts of it anyway. But carry on, I didn't mean to, to run us on the sidetrack too far. No, no you're, you're probably, fine. You're probably going to explain all that in a minute. Uh, I don't know. I'm just an English teacher, so <laughs> that's all I've got going for me. <laughs> There's also lots of instances of surgery in the in the show as well. Just like the I've seen maybe that like a combined. Fun. They're interesting. I've seen maybe like a combined hour of the show and everything that I've seen, I've really liked. There was one really interesting scene of a wisdom tooth. No, it was a, the other thing, a tonsil, a tonsillectomy that she does while she's like back in time. So she does this pretty successful tonsillectomy using the like rudimentary tools that are available to her in 1790, right? Uh, it's like 1771. Cause it's right before the American revolution. Yeah. It's even earlier than that. Yeah. So yeah. Was this at a point in time where people had at least some concept of an access to anesthesia? Like, could you find, say, like opium or any of that in Scotland at that time? Claire actually only had like a rudimentary anesthetic, which I'm sure you could probably guess what it is. Favorite Highland drink. 
All right, Guinness. Some whiskey. <laughs> she just had some whiskey um, that she would use. However, it, it didn't prove to be, you know, as successful as something like ether. And in one of the later books uh, and in the later half of the series, she tries really hard to recreate ether, um, but she doesn't have proper ventilation. She manages to burn down a house in the process and also nearly anesthetizes herself and her whole surgical team during a medical procedure. Sweet. Yeah. You know, Richard Pryor, I, I think it was him. I might be getting him mixed up with someone else. He was like a, like a comedian, and he used to smoke crack. And he, he went over a, an experience that he had after he got off the crack, I think in the 90s or 2000s, and explained how he was trying to cook it up using ether. And he lit a cigarette and basically just burned his eyebrows off and lit his kitchen on fire. So, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely do that. Does she ever bring any medicines back from the future to the... Yes. So... In the whole process of the show, she goes back to the past and right before the Battle of Culloden, which is like the major squashing of the Jacobite Rebellion, she goes back to 1950 or something. And then she ends up going back to the past again, like in the late 60s after she's become a doctor. So she is a doctor and she does bring back penicillin, which she keeps on her for like emergencies. However, of course, there's quite a few emergencies because the show's super dramatic. And so she uses it a good number of times. And she also ends up getting her syringe stomped on by an angry man who wants revenge on a smart woman who knows too much for her own good. <laughs> so anyways. There are a lot of kills. Yeah. Lots of kills. I'm gonna have to watch them. Lots of kills. I think you. I think you'd like it. I think it'd be up your alley. The surgery scenes are pretty realistic. There's lots of steamy romance. The <laughs> steamy romance is the best part. I can't lie. Is I love any, it. Is there any steamy surgical romance? I mean, she operates on her husband a good number of times. So, and there okay, is maybe. a really strange scene. If you've watched it, I won't say it here, but it's in season five where she manages to bring her husband back to life again with a, an unorthodox method. Okay, I mean, I, I'm definitely interested in that at this okay. point, bringing people back from the dead. That one's pretty hardcore. I, it's it's well written, too. It's not like trash, dumb smut. It's actually, it's, it's smart. It's well written. I like it. Yeah, it's really pretty. The book's really pretty, too. I love it. So w would you describe the, the vast majority of it, at least, as being medically and scientifically accurate? I would, yeah. And we'll get to the some of the, the bigger concepts in a little bit. I think you're okay. going to introduce it first, right? Okay, cool. I'll hold off on that. So let's talk about the, the penicillin situation. So right. when she runs out of penicillin in the past, she realizes, I got to make some more. I know how they did it because I, I read their, their papers on it. She's at this point in time, which is pretty cool. She's living in North Carolina in the Appalachian Mountains living near Grandfather Mountain, I think. But she is on the hunt to make penicillin. Her husband's gifted her a microscope, which is super cool. And she has her, I guess, housekeeper or housemistress bake tons of bread, which her housemistress is super upset by because she's going to use it to cultivate mold <laughs> and try and find the right strain. Um, she even acquiesces the help of a young Highland girl who's not from the future to help her look for like a little paintbrush shape in the penicillin things under the microscope. But it's, it's pretty neat. Does she ever 
like when she's planning on going back to the future, does she ever leave any of these medicines in the past for the people and be like, hey, if you get a, a festering musket wound, you can you can rub this on it, but I'm, I'm leaving it here. Does um, she ever do any of that? Because I feel like that, that could potentially have consequences for the future. I mean, antibiotic resistance is already pretty bad just based on when we got started with it, you know, in our timeline. But if you introduced antibiotics on a regular basis in 1790, I think we'd probably just all be dead. Yeah, no, I, I know the, the times that she leaves is when she's like under duress, when she thinks her husband's going to die. And so I don't think she leaves anything of signif- of medical significance by the first time because she never brought it with her. Okay. She legit just happens to stumble back in, like, obviously a too short dress that she's mocked for later. And it's like, oh, you're running around in your underwear, girl. Anyways. Um, but, yeah, she doesn't bring anything back that time or leave it. And then when she goes back again, she brings things purposefully back. If that makes sense. Sorry, this timeline gets really confusing. The, the funny thing about Scotland is I think the dude shorts are shorter than the girl skirt. That's yeah. true. It's and they don't have to have anything under it. Gotta let it breathe. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Whereas ladies have like chemises and petticoats and probably hoops or of some kind. So one note on the, the paintbrushes that they were looking for to, to identify visually the penicillin. That, as far as I know, is pretty accurate because the penicillin... That family of fungus, they do feature like really paintbrush looking, uh, the, uh, filet. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, I'm trying to think. Hi- the hyphae. Hyphae. Yeah. The little root, like yeah. kind of, kind of breeding structures that are not the fruiting bodies. What, what subfamily of like fungus is penicillin again? Cause I, I know there's like, uh, basidiocarps and then there's. Like asomycetes or something. I can't. I'm struggling to remember this from like a, an undergrad biology course. Yeah, man, fungus is 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 not fun. You'll get another uh, introduction to fungus next, the semester after next. I mean, I, I like fungus, but they are they're they're bizarre <laughs> to study because there's some kind of crossroads between a plant and an animal. Yeah, fungus and are they're they're weird. They're extremely strange. They are really weird. I, I don't know what kind of family it is, but. It's it's not pathogenic. The whole family, I'm pretty sure, is non-pathogenic. But anyway, so yeah, so she decides that she's going to make penicillin with her her rudimentary technology that she has in the 17, 1771. Mm-hmm. and she's successful. They do discover the paintbrushes, the paintbrush structure, and then they test its antibiotic properties. Do they test it on an, an auger plate? I have no idea about that. I, the first time I know that she actually uses it is during the tonsillectomy. Right. When she, so they don't really go into detail to discuss like how she actually extracts the penicillin. But so one of the things that we have touched on in the past about penicillin in one of our previous episodes is that the, the process for manufacturing was really, really complicated. The discovery of penicillin, we've, we've talked about it before, and the controversy that seems to be inherent with every Nobel Prize associated with the winners. There was the Fleming, Flory, and Chain. They were the three winners, but they left out Heatley, Norman Heatley, who was like the main uh, chemist behind the extraction process. And you can check out our previous episode brought to us by Kelly Brown, The True Story of Penicillin. We'll link that in the show notes. But in summary, the process of developing penicillin was lengthy and complicated to say the least. And 
after the discovery of the antibiotic properties of the penicillin mold in 1928, it wasn't another 14 years before penicillin was actually used in a patient. Much of the difficulty in processing penicillin came about later in the process when not only it came to mass production, but the final step of the manufacturing, which is creating a usable form of penicillin, which was figured out by Norman Heatley. He figured out a way to extract the usable final product for injection. Now, considering that Claire Beecham travels back and forth through between the past and the present a number of times, and in her timeline travels back with the knowledge of penicillin from sometime in the 60s, right? So I think it's feasible that by this point, she would have been able to access the extraction process and the research, which would have likely been publicly available at this time in the 60s and Able, she would be able to recreate the process using this information. That's what I think. The, the 14 years of research for the team of Heatley, Flory, and Chain involved a tremendous amount of trial and error. If Claire had access to their research, which she likely could have, as she was also a doctor with Harvard, right? Yes. It's totally feasible that she could have recreated the process of, this, of the discovery and the manufacturing. Does she do any vaccinating in the show? No, I, I've not seen that. And granted, I haven't read the entirety of the series as the books are super long. Um, but I don't think that she creates any vaccines from my knowledge. Okay. I was just wondering, because I think by that point in time, vaccination was known in a very rudimentary. I forget when it was actually discovered. Do either of it? I think Jenner did the smallpox in the 1790s. I think earlier than that, though, there was variolization. Right, was variolation. like a, a Chinese thing where they would peel like a smallpox or off somebody and grind it into a fine snortable powder and then just like, oh. like rail it. And it would at least with a pretty good success rate vaccinate you against smallpox from what I understand. That's in the uh, Catherine the Great Hulu series. I don't know if you've ever watched that before. I've not, but I love Russian history. It's. She, I think one of her like advisors in that references that and tries to create some sort of a vaccine. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've watched that. And I mean, I think, what was it? Valley Forge, George Washington vaccinated. But that was, so you said that the, uh, the beginning of this was before the revolution. So we'd probably mm -hmm. be relying on the Chinese interpretation of of that, or maybe, I don't know, but I was just wondering if she would bring back like a vaccine, vaccine, or if they would still be doing that, or if they would. Hmm. That'd be interesting. It would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't gone through the whole thing yet, it always could happen. It could maybe. be in there, but I'm not sure. That would have pretty widespread ramifications, though. She just came back and started vaccinating people. <laughs> yeah. Versus like just handing out penicillin occasionally. Well, and they touched on that in the show. They're like, we keep changing the past we're going to mess up the future because she also she has a daughter and then she like brings the daughter back too which is very weird and the daughter's me. boyfriend and roger the daughter's boyfriend too oh Why? weird. well he follows her because he wants to go back and find brianna <laughs> so what was it what was it like Take your daughter to work day? Or yeah. Why, why was that happening? <laughs> and also, her. this is really messed up. And again, like I said, so many spoilers. But I knew some of these before I watched it, and I still enjoyed it. Claire's daughter is the steamy Highlander's daughter that she had in the future and then brought back to the past. Oh, so the steamy Highlander is the one in the 60s, and it's not a steamy Highlander in the past? No, it's well, the okay. steamy Highlanders in the past. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so He's she... in the past. She got she went back to the present while she was pregnant, right? Yes. Okay. So she got married in the present to a man, Frank, who's from the present, 
went back into the past by accident, ends up marrying steamy Highlander Jamie, gets pregnant, goes back to the future because she thinks Jamie's going to die at the Battle of Culloden, has the baby, and is raised by her future husband, <laughs> husband from the future. That's sleazy. Oh, but it's... it's <laughs> okay, anyways. It's just... Oh, my gosh. Time travel infidelity. Yeah, but he's not <laughs> been born yet. He's dead. Well, it is... Man, I, I'm, I'm trying to develop a moral opinion on that, and I'm having difficulty. I was just thinking about my husband. Us. Is he not alive? No, actually. He's not alive. I never thought I would have to develop an opinion on, on time travel cheating on your husband. It'd be easier to defend Claire if you know what Frank Randall does as well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not great. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah. So th- this is the, the present husband? This is the modern day husband. The modern day husband, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. He's two thumbs down from me. I don't like him at all. And his ancestor. So the cool thing about the series is... What? A really confusing part where he has an ancestor in the Highlander time who's played by the same actor. Yeah. So it's like super confusing because all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, what is he doing here? Is this going to be one of those like ridiculous like episode of like Wishbone or something where he goes back in time yeah. and everybody's just the same actor? Just like doing all these different roles. You know, the wood dog, Wishbone. I remember Wishbone. Yeah. That show is good. So we're we're kind of in the Eddie Murphy school of cast selection yeah. Yeah. where Eddie Murphy plays 17 people in every movie that he's in. It's just, it's perfect, though, because when she sees, like, he's one of the first people she sees when she goes back in time. She's, like, running through the woods, and she thinks to herself, like, oh, I'm just in, like, a film reenactment. Wow, this is really good. And then all of a sudden, she's like, oh, he looks like my husband, but he's dressed up, and finds out that it's not her husband. It's Blackjack Randall, a scurvy British uh, lobster back who... You know, tortures, tortures, <laughs> poor, poor Jamie and, and Claire throughout uh, the books. But anyways, he sucks. Yeah, he does. Zero out of ten. So, and for Frank, zero out of ten. Also, uh, just more, def- more um, I guess, defense for Claire, or not defense necessarily, but just indicating that she's a capable doctor. At this point, when she does make the penicillin, she's been using medical knowledge from the modern day in the past for 27 years. She's really good at what she's doing using these materials and methods available to her in the 18th century and applying her existing knowledge of medicine and biology successfully to treat patients. She's been doing this for a long time. Like, she's been doing surgeries. She's been administering field health care to wounded patients. She knows what she's doing. So do, do we ever, like, what, I guess, for lack of a better word, famous diseases of the past do we encounter? I'm talking, like, Syphilis, smallpox, cholera, you know, the, the big the big couple. Scurvy is one. Okay, so, scurvy is bad. Yeah, they, they have a really, or she has a really hard time convincing some of the, the Highland dudes to eat leafy greens because they just want to stick to their, like, oats and milk and, and stuff like that, and they won't eat it. Uh, she also encounters scurvy as well and smallpox when they're on a boat to Jamaica, this happens to you along the way. <laughs> um, and a whole, I think it's, it's either smallpox or it's scarlet fever. I don't remember which one. I'd have to look it back up again and see. But she manages to quarantine and treat like the ship of men and save them from further casualties. 
She figures out what it is. I need more room to house the infected men. Once this deck is clean, the sick can convalesce here. Where will the rest of us sleep then? Everywhere else. We need to make use of every inch of space so that no man sleeps touching another one, sick or well. Every surface must be cleaned. Typhoid fever is spread by hands or, or food contaminated by infected urine or feces. Then we'll all die if you hadn't noticed. There's shit everywhere. Thankfully, Mr. Jones, most of this is vomit. Now let's get to work. Can she go to, like, the, the future future? Does she ever do that? Does she go, like, past the time that she initially... She doesn't ever do that? Nope. Is it's that... always... The stone, like, the rule of the stones is, like, 200 years. Okay. So it takes you 200 years into the past or 200 years into the future. It never takes you beyond or past that point. It's one of the two. Okay. Because yeah. I, I was just wondering, like, if you could go back in time, like, antivirals... In 1790, that would be an interesting exploration. So, well, ultimately, I did like the the inclusion of penicillin, and I felt like it was overall pretty realistic. The medical and the medical references in the topics in Outlander. Did you get it? It's typhoid fever. Typhoid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I just couldn't remember what it was. Well, that is also pretty gnarly. It is. So. It was really gross on the show. All the men were below deck. Overall, the medical references and the topics in Outlander are, in my opinion, pretty accurate. As a pharmacy student, third-year pharmacy student, I think they're pretty accurate. The author, Diana Gabaldon, Gabaldon? Gabaldon. Gabaldon. Yeah. Goes to great lengths to correctly describe both herbal remedies, anatomy, physiology, disease states, and surgeries. And I've been generally very satisfied with the authenticity of the medical content. With that said, there was one mild little error in this episode that stood out to me, and apparently a lot of other viewers as well, because Gabaldon, Gabaldon, actually made a statement about it on her Facebook. When Claire is setting up the bread to, to be molded, freshly baked and freshly cut, she immediately places the bread under a bell jar, which would actually prevent the bread from molding, as the mold is not spontaneous, yeah. but occurs when spores in the air land on the bread, which is how Alexander Fleming's dishes in the sink got moldy. The bell jar wouldn't completely prevent the, the bread from molding, as a spore certainly could have landed on the bread before she puts it in the jar, but it's not an ideal situation for the encouragement of mold. And this is actually not the way that it's described in the books. It seems to be a touch added by the producers of the show. The uh, Dr. or sorry, Gabald Gabaldon, I cannot say her name, Gabaldon, yeah. claims to have tried to explain to them that this wouldn't work, but they went ahead anyway. Ultimately, I think that Outlander does a really great job of accurately using medicine to enhance the stories and the plots. And it's fun, interesting to watch, read if you're into books or whatever. I think it rivals Grey's Anatomy in terms of quantity of intriguing medical content with the application of historical fiction. It makes for a really fun and, and interesting show. Plus, the writing is infinitely better. In terms of realism, Outlander gets an 8.5 from the official Let's Farmanize rating system. I mean, I, I would say that that's pretty good. I'm amazed that a, a semi-long-running TV show only has one major scientific error that people come... I mean, that... Well, that was just what I saw. That was just the one. I'm sure if we Google, like, Outlander errors, we could probably find some I more. Mean, but, I mean, if that's the only one that slides to the forefront, yeah. I mean, in a show that's about medicine in which that is inherently the focus, I would say that's pretty good. There's a... In one of the seasons, she has... And I think we talked about this at some point as being, like, a wild, magical, like, inaccurate thing. She has, like, a stone that she wears that's huge and white that's supposed to detect if poison is near. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you remember that? I got a couple of those. <laughs> you got a couple? That's medically accurate. <laughs> okay. Sure. I Anyways. mean, that was just kind of like 
fantasy stuff. I guess. I don't know. The second season, it kind of lost well, it for me. Well, but. hold on. We cannot sit here and complain about how unrealistic poison detecting stones are when we've gone back in time I 200 years. I actually, and this is just coming from me, I think that those stones are real. And I think I, I would, I mean, I would bet money on it that the government's keeping it quiet and that people have actually gone back in time. Just a thought. So now I'm announcing the official Let's Farmanize Kickstarter for a trip to the, the British Isles Craig to Nadine. go back in time. <laughs> I would very much like to go to Craig Nadune just to see if it's actually real or not. We, Please. We are going to go back into the past. We will change the future. Well, what if you meet a steamy Highlander? If you're with me, I... I <laughs> I don't want to answer this on when I'm recorded. Does that mean I can go to Westworld? <laughs> no, it does not mean you can go to Westworld. I mean, let's farm and I's established 1792. And you're standing on like the gallows <laughs> before the public execution talking about medicine. Jeez. Oh, God. Everybody's, I mean, everybody's already gathered in one place at the public execution. So then that's, that's where you get the star power from. Imagine trying to explain what a podcast is. <laughs> That'd be awful. You'd have to simplify it a little bit so you didn't get, like, broken on the wheel or something for being a magical person. <laughs> You'd have to simplify it. You'd call it a, a, a rock cast. We, we sit around the rocks and we, we talk and the rocks absorb my voice and I hand out the rocks to my listeners and the rocks replay the... That sounds scarier just, than... Well, maybe that's more magical than... Okay, They're well, bewitched rocks. Maybe I, maybe I just, I, I failed the simulation and I got broken on the wheel. You immediately get burned at the stake. <laughs> I, I was hoping for breaking, but that was mainly a French and German thing, so we can't, you know, it's not, you know. You can request it, I'm sure. Hey, you know, I know that you guys were going to burn me to death, but I was thinking, <laughs> I mean, that, that could, hmm, that could be an interesting episode. The physiology of medieval pain devices. That sounds awful. No, it would be awful. It would be <laughs> terrible. Do you know what that makes me think of? What? It makes me think of the museum I passed like every day when I was living in London called the Clink. <laughs> it was a prison museum and I always would threaten my friend that I was going to take it to the Clink. <laughs> okay. Didn't, didn't you have a quote that you wanted to read? Yeah, if you want me to read a part oh. of the book, I'll be happy. Yeah, please do. I forgot we had the book. Yep, and I used my sparkly highlighter. This is an excerpt from chapter four of Diana Gabaldon's Outlander. Mistress Fitzgibbons was surprised. Why, Jamie can fend for himself. He knows where to get food and someone will find him a bed. He's hurt. He was shot yesterday and stabbed last night. I bandaged the wound for riding, but I didn't have time to clean or dress it properly. I must care for it now before it gets infected. Infected? Yes, that is, I mean, inflamed, you know, with pus and swelling and fever. Oh, aye, I know what you mean, but do you mean to say as you know what to do for that? Are you a charmer then? A beaten? Something like that. I had no notion what a beaten might be, nor any wish to go into my medical qualifications, standing out in the chilly drizzle that had set in. Mistress Fitzgibbon seemed of a like mind, for she called back Jamie, who was making off in the opposite direction, and taking him also by an arm, towed us both into the castle. 
After a long trip, through cold, narrow corridors, dimly lit by slitted windows, we came into a fairly large room furnished with a bed, a couple of stools, and most importantly, a fire. I ignored my patient temporarily in favor of thawing my hands. Mistress Fitzgibbons, presumably immune to cold, sat Jamie on a stool by the fire and gently got the remains of his tattered shirt off, replacing it with a warm quilt from the bed. She clucked at the shoulder, which was bruised and swollen, and poked at my clumsy dressing. I turned from the fire. I think it will need to be soaked off, and then the wound cleansed with a solution for... for preventing fevers. Mistress Fitzgibbons would have made an admirable nurse. What will you be needing? She asked simply. I thought hard. What in the name of God had people used for preventing infection before the advent of antibiotics? And of those limited compounds which might be available to me in a primitive Scottish castle just after dawn? Garlic, I said in triumph. Garlic, and if you have it, witch hazel. Also, I'll need several clean rags and a kettle of boiling water. Aye, well, I think we can manage that. Perhaps a bit of comfrey as well. And what about a bit of bone-set tea or chamomile? The lad looks as though it's been a long night. I was actually just about to ask about, like, sanitization aseptics and all that kind of stuff. So that, that very tidily precluded my question. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's really cool. I like that a lot. I like the way it's written and I like your, your accents. Thanks. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was pretty good. Thank you. I was not expecting it. I, I can't read without doing that. I mean, I, I, I feel it. I, I do it in my head. Um, yeah. There's, there's only like some accent. I feel like you know if you can do an accent or not when you think about it in your head before you try to voice it. Yeah. Um, I'm the outlander. No, not yet. No. <laughs> good? Howdy, yeah. partner. I'm the Outland. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, you, you have, remember, Do you remember the, the, the Slinky Dog Dash? Slinky was, Dog Dash. What, but he would do the same thing in Spanish with the accent. Bienvenido a Slinky Dog Dash. Yep, that was so good. It's this good. ride in Disney World that's the Slinky Dog from, from Toy Story. That's awesome. Bienvenido Bienvenido a Slinky Dog Dash. I love it. And he would do like the whole spiel, like, like you know, keep your hands in the ride and wait patiently in line, but in Spanish with that crazy accent. It's hilarious. And just do all languages, like ancient, Cyrillic. We're doing like <laughs> Persian. That'd be good. You're just sitting at the opening of the ride, listening to the instruction for 45 minutes as he goes through it in every language known to man. That, that would be pretty tight. Was there anything else we missed? Anything we want to discuss? Um, no, I did have one thing about antibiotics. Or no, she used honey as an antibacterial. Oh, yeah. I thought that so was interesting. So this is something that I didn't look into, but read the read the thing about what she does with honey, and maybe you might have some insight, because, yeah, go ahead and read it. I've heard of it. So Diana Gabaldon was interviewed and was asked about, like, one of her favorite creative remedies that she's researched for a various ailment. And she says, and I quote, My current favorite of her medical procedures, though, is her treatment of Lord John Gray's injured eye, where she dribbles honey around the eyeball in order to keep it moist, prevent infection, and prevent the muscles freezing in the eye in its socket by adhering to the surrounding bone during the healing process. I I don't know if any of that's accurate or not. See, I'm reading just some search results to refresh my memory because I remember seeing that Honey was antibacterial. I remember uh, when I was in Boy Scouts, a metalworking teacher of mine told me, told actually no, told some dude that cut his hand open pretty good that he could put like some honey on it. And he said, 
something to the effect of it putting everything into hyperglycemic shock, quote. Right. But I'm reading something here, now given I don't know everything about this, about, let's see, bronze spectrum antibacterial activity is due to the enzymatic production of hydrogen peroxide or something like that, which that, that sounds pretty cool. And I mean, that, that would make sense. I heard something about honey containing, wait, no, that's antioxidants. So, I mean, that, that could potentially, well, no, I'd, I'd need to look more into it. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. Because it sounds totally counterintuitive to put something yeah. sugary like that on a wound, which is why it's just so interesting to me how that ends up working out. I put tartar sauce on my wounds. <laughs> Yum. When I get a cut, just put my hand in a jar of tartar sauce. There we go. Everyone, mayonnaise. Yeah, right? The antiseptic of the god. <laughs> but yeah, honey is, it's not necessarily antibiotic or in, in nature, but bacteria just doesn't like it. It's too sweet. It is. Gives them hyperglycemia. So I guess, I guess you could do the same thing with like sugar water maybe too. I guess it's anything ultra sugary. But then again, I mean, you'd have trouble getting sugar water to stay in because it's not kind of gummy like honey. honey. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, bacteria doesn't really like sugar all that do they i mean i guess yes, they do bacteria like sugar i mean they dumb. i guess it would also depend on what kind of bacteria because i mean i know there's right. different tolerances and different methods for ultimately producing energy that could probably accommodate more I, or less i wonder like at what concentration does it get too much because the higher the concentration of glucose in your urine for example the more prone you are to a urinary tract infection like if you have diabetes and if you're on an SGLT2 inhibitor, which increases the glucose output in your urine, you're much more susceptible to urinary tract infections. Well, I mean, I guess we just have to rate that on a sliding scale because normally the concentration of glucose in your urine is, is zero. So I guess they'd need, well, maybe not exactly zero, but pretty close to zero yeah. from what I understand. So you'd need some. So I think even high urine glucose wouldn't be that high, I guess, relatively speaking. Compared to honey, I guess. Compared to like hummingbird food. Mm. Just for, I mean, it is good. It's just like sugar water. Yeah, basically. <laughs> thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. And special thanks to Kelly Kerr for making our music.